Well, good morning, Crossings. It is good to be with you. My name is Andy, one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, we're going to continue this morning in the series that we've been in, clarifying questions. And when I think about questions and the purpose of questions, a couple things come to mind. The first is that questions cause us to think, right? They're just, that's what they're there for. And that's why teachers often teach using questions. And I remember my middle school shop teacher was famous for this. And he was famous for frustrating the minds of middle schoolers. Because let's be honest, when I was in middle school, I did not think. My mother and father would agree, all right? We, so this is what he was famous for. You, you dare not ask him, can I go to the bathroom? He would respond with, I don't know, can you? To the frustration of all middle schoolers alike, right? And it's just, it, gets, it stops and makes you think. And it also make, it reminds me of a story of uh, one of our pastors here, a friend of mine, Blake Baston, that when he came on staff, one of the early times that he preached, um, well, in fact, he's married to a teacher, so this makes a whole lot of sense, is that he got into the car afterwards with his wife, an elementary school teacher, and he said, well, what'd you think? And she turned to him and said, how do you think it went? Not exactly what you're, you, you want to hear as soon as you get done with a sermon, right? But what it, it made him pause. He's like, well, I thought it went well. It made him think. Maybe, maybe it wasn't as good as I thought. But we ask questions, and I love that Jesus does the same thing. He doesn't just placate our feelings. He asks us good and healthy questions. And so let me pray for us as we get into today's passage. Lord, we just want to thank you for bringing us here, for waking us up and, and getting us here safely, Lord, as we open your word. Holy Spirit, would you do a work in us and through your word this morning that this question that we were, are to consider, Lord, would, would soak deeply into our hearts and our minds. So, Lord, I pray that as we leave today that you would do a work so that we are different as we leave than when we arrived. In your son's name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 16. That's where we're going to be this morning. And uh, this passage and this question specifically this is one that really makes us think. There's a deep impact to this question. It's actually a very simple question, but that does not mean the impact is not significant. And what ends up happening in a question like this is it's in the midst of a conversation that Jesus is having and our, having and our temptation is to acknowledge, oh, that's a good question. That's a, that's a deep question. And then we move right on and we miss the impact of the question. And so what I hope to do this morning is sit with this question a little bit, to let it make us think, maybe make us a little uncomfortable. So here's the, here's the question, Matthew 16, verse 26. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? So bonus, we get two questions today actually. But let's be clear about this question. It's a good one. And it's much deeper than, hey, how is your day? How is church? It just goes a multiple levels deeper. Now, as, as I think about this question, I want to be honest. Like, the way that I interpret a lot of God's word, because of the way I grew up in the church environment that I grew up in, I hear questions like this through the lens of judgment almost immediately. A disappointed father this is, are you, why are you wasting your life, Andy? But I want to I invite us into a, another perspective. 
Yes, I do think Jesus is making a judgment call asking this question. He's making a this or that kind of thing. But instead of just assuming, maybe that like I do, that this is a judgment and that God's angry and Jesus is frustrated, think about it this way. This is the mental image that I have of the heart of Christ when he's asking this question. It's getting down on one knee with that little kid and getting eye to eye and just softly speaking truth that that child needs to hear. Not because of anger, but because of a deep love and value for that child. And this morning, we are that child. That Jesus is taking a knee, holding our hand and saying, let me ask you a question. Not because I'm mad, because I'm going to invite you into something that is far better than the road you're going. So there's a word here in this passage, and it says life. If he gains the whole world yet loses his life, what or will, uh, or will anyone give in exchange for his life? Now that word life is a deep meaning. And depending on your translation of the Bible, you may see the word soul in your Bible. And so this morning I'm going to use life and soul interchangeably because they mean the same thing. And what it means is that inner life, it's that you part of you that's the real you. It's not the you that's on your business card. It's not the you according to your achievements. It's you. It's that part of you that will transcend this life. That when this life is over, you will continue. That's the word for soul here. That's the word for life in this passage. So whether we translate it inner life or the real you or the soul, what Jesus is asking here is what possible benefit would it be for a person to gain the entire world in the here and now and actually lose their soul, that part of you that actually matters, your soul. Now, if you notice what Jesus is doing here, it's kind of mind-blowing. He's putting a comparison between your soul, like this value thing, your soul versus the whole world. So not only is he asking a question, just by the way he's forming the question, he's making a comparison. And he's comparing your soul with the whole world. That's a value statement. So what will it be? What's the advantage? What will it profit someone in gaining all the world, but in the process lose your life? So let me set this passage up. We're again, we're in Matthew 16. And a couple weeks ago, Marty preached on a question earlier in Matthew 16 is, is that famous question that Jesus asks his disciples, well, who do people say that I am? And then he cuts to the chase. He says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, you got it. You got it. That's who I am. Now I've got, like, I like to put myself, like, what did that feel like in that moment? Like, what were the disciples hearing and how did they react? I got to believe they are fired up. They are ready to go. Because they've been, they and the Israelite people have been waiting for hundreds of years for the Messiah to show up. And not only did Jesus say, hey, I am him. But the disciples got to be looking around like, guys, not only is he the Messiah, he's one of, he's in our friend group. Like, like he's in our party. And so I got to believe that they're fired up. 
they're not just like walking along the road, just kind of chilling out. It, it reminds me of like, they're, maybe they're a little sleepy and then they got woken up by this idea of like, hey, I am the Messiah. You have spoken correctly, Peter. And so if they were sleepy before and they didn't know who Jesus was before, well, now they know. It reminds me of like my kids when they're sleepy in the morning and I try to wake them up and they don't want to get up, but then I tell them there's donuts on the kitchen counter. Man, they pop up right away. Now, there's a little hop in their step. I think that's the disciples here. There's a little hop in their step walking to Jerusalem. They're like, all right, game on. Here we go. The Messiah is with us. Let's go. And so we pick that up in verse 21 where, where it continues. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. It's as if Peter's like, wait, did you not remember what you just said? You're the Messiah. What, what are you talking about, death? What, what are you talking about? And in verse 23, Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns but human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. In verse 23, we see Peter fired up in his response to Jesus saying, I'm about to suffer and die and raise again. And Jesus pushes back hard on Peter. There's that corrective father heart. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What does he say? He says, get behind me, Satan. I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I want Jesus calling me Satan. So I, I, I have a lot of empathy for Peter here. But he says, but Jesus, you are a hindrance to me. Because you're not thinking about God's concerns, merely human concerns. So my first observation of this passage is that Jesus is willing to challenge Peter's perspective. Or at least the story that Peter's telling himself about what the Messiah will do and how he will do it. Jesus rebukes Peter because he's, he's focused on the human concerns, the political power of the day. He's, con he's consumed by, oh, now the Israelite, we will be free from Roman reign. And you are going to come in and you are going to set us free. But God is always doing more than we think. And Jesus is constantly throughout the Gospels trying to expand the, the, the disciples' view. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus tells them this, The enemy has come to steal, to kill, and destroy, to focus on the now completely and solely. That's how we lose. When we only focus on what's in front. But he says, but I have come to give you life and life to the full, both a full life now and for eternity. You see, Jesus had bigger and better concerns than the temporary earthly kingdom that Peter had in mind. Back in Matthew chapter 4, we see this conversation happen once before. This conversation happened when Satan was tempting Jesus. 
And what was his temptation? It was simply, you can have the world, you can have the throne without the cross. Satan said, well, why don't you just bow down and worship me and I'll give you everything. I'll give you the whole world. And Jesus said, no. I'm doing bigger and better things than you have in mind. And Peter unknowingly tempts Jesus with the same thing. He says, you're the Messiah, Jesus. You can't be beaten. You can't be killed and crucified. What are you talking about? And once again, Jesus consistent says, no, I'm doing bigger and better things than you can possibly imagine. I'm not simply redeeming you. I'm redeeming all of creation for all of time. And so we need to slow down and consider this question. Because just like Peter, he wanted a king without a cross. And too often, I think we can slip and drift into this mentality that we want to be a Christian without Christ. That there is no submission, there is no obedience. There is just, I'm going to go check off the good Christian box and then lead my life the way I want to lead it. But this question that Jesus poses pushes against that mentality. So we need to slow down and consider this question not simply just allowing Jesus to challenge Peter's perspective, but to allow him to push back and challenge our perspective. Verse 25, it says this, Jesus says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life. And the second observation this morning is that Jesus is challenging them to embrace that eternal perspective. That truer story that God is writing. Because let's be honest, we're all writing a story of our life. We have our plans, we have our, our goals, we are writing a story, but God is writing a bigger and better and truer story. But then this is the question For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world? yet loses his life? This is a simple question, but it does not mean it is an easy one. This is a deep question. This is like the deep end of the pool question. It's the Christian paradox, and what, it, and what Jesus is doing is he's forcing us to think about things we don't really like to think about, that we would consider life, and that we would consider death, and that we would consider eternity. And we would consider the shortness of life. We would consider the value of our life. What am I living for? Am I simply living for my own selfish aims and goals? Or is there anything beyond my life? That's what Jesus is getting to. If you're a numbers person, this would be called the ROI, the return on investment. It's the cost-benefit analysis of following Jesus. What is it going to cost me, and what will I get in return? And again, like I said, my mentality is always focused on what am I going to lose, what I'm going to lose. But we forget what we get and what we find it is far greater what Jesus is saying than what we lose. He says, I come to give you life and life to the full. Well, then why? If, if this is what Jesus is promising... He said, I have come to give you life and a full life, both now and for eternity. Then why in the world do we not go all in with God? Why do I stray? Why do I drift? Why do I, you know, I have, I have a thought on this. 
It's to be, and it goes back to the Garden of Eden where a seed of doubt was planted in the heart and mind of humanity. Do you remember what Satan told Eve? Did God really say you can't do that? And behind that is this, this doubt that God is not actually good. That in fact God is actually withholding goodness from you. And I think that seed has been planted. And so we don't go all in with God because we're just not quite sure. We don't really believe that God's promises are true and that his character is unchanging. And so we get into this place where we believe that the good life that we want is actually on our terms and not his. That we know what's better than him. There's a case study in the Bible of the cost-benefit analysis. There's a ROI case study. It's called the book of Ecclesiastes, where King Solomon, the richest, wisest man to ever live, says, you know what? I'm going to put all of my focus on this world and see what it has to offer. And as you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, he starts with intellectualism. He says, I'm going to find all I can and get all the knowledge I possibly can so that I can have all of the answers. And then maybe in, in the answers of life, I will find peace and purpose. And at the end of that short journey, he, he ends up with more questions than answers. And he says, it's fleeting. And then he moves on to pleasure and hedonism. And he says, well, I'm going to go just see how much pleasure I can pursue. And he goes and does that. And at the end, he's left wanting, just like addiction leaves us always wanting. We think if we just get one more, if we get just one more, then I will feel better and it will, I'll feel peace. But we know at the end of that road there is no peace. And then after intellectualism and hedonism, he moves on to materialism. He says, I'm going to buy and I'm going to build and I'm going to create all of the things that I can. And he builds this incredible kingdom. And once again, at the end of that, he has everything, and he is left wanting. I know this on a personal level. I, I'm old enough to be able to look back on my life, and I can see things that I chased. And I can look back. I'm old enough to look back and say, you know what? That did not do for it, do for me what I thought it would. In fact, the only thing that it actually gave me was regret and shame that I did those things and I pursued that thing. And ironically, Solomon comes up to the same conclusion. I mean, maybe we call it our midlife crisis, quarter-life crisis for the young adults that I work with. Right? We pursue and we pursue, and then all of a sudden there's that moment where you're like, what is, what is all this about? I'm just in the hamster wheel of life accumulating and building a, a, a name and, a, and accomplishments that one day no one will remember. Because when I think about this idea that Sol or Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes, they just like, look like pursuits that often look like just a disguise and a cover-up and a running from God. That I'm going to find my purpose and my meaning in something other than him. And the crazy thing is all these pursuits are celebrated and even encouraged in our culture. That you can find your peace and your happiness and your joy and your wholeness in things, in pleasure, in being right more than anyone else. But we, we just don't have time for these disruptive questions, do we? I got a game to go to. I got, to get a, I got a show I got to catch up on. I've got a new property to go look at. 
I've got a person to have lunch with. I don't have time for disruptions of depth, God. So we just keep pursuing the, the, the accumulation of knowledge and pleasure and things. Alistair Begg, a pastor, sums up this way. If you try and make sense of it all, if you try and orient it all around yourself and who you are and what you are and what you have done and what you've achieved and what you've also done, then Jesus says you'll actually lose your life. Ironically, Alistair Begg comes to the same conclusion that King Solomon did. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, King Solomon simply says, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. He did everything that you and I think will fulfill us. And he said, hey, here's the, here, here's, here's the, cheat, the, the cheat sheet. I've done it all. I've bought it all. I've experienced it all. And at the end of life, pursue God. Life is found in God. In verse 26, Jesus continues, For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So the last observation this morning is that Jesus sets the value of a soul. Jesus sets the value of a soul. What's the going rate for a soul these days? You all know? What's the price? Man, all we got to do is look around. There are companies and influencers that are telling us all day long, this is the price of your soul. If you just have this, then you will find peace and joy and contentment. The price of the soul is being sold to us every day, everywhere we look. But what the amazing thing is that it seems that in this passage, within this question, Jesus sets the price of the soul. And he starts in verse 21 of Matthew 16. It says, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and raised the third day. You see, the value of the soul is seen on a hill outside of Jerusalem where the Son of God, hanging on a cross, cries out, it is finished. And that, that, that phrase, it is finished, is the word tetelestai. And tetelestai means paid in full. Jesus has set the price of your soul, and it is paid. So when we look at the cross, it is not just remembering what Jesus has done. We're looking at the value statement that God has placed on you. And that's what this question points to. What is it to your benefit if you gain the whole world but lose the most precious thing, your soul? You see, the reason that he cried out on the cross was because on that cross he gave himself for the souls of men and women. He hung there despised and beaten, scarred and scorned so that we deserve what we deserve he took upon himself. And what we do not deserve, he gave to us. Life and life to the full, both now and forever. The apostle Peter points this out in 1 Peter 1, verse 18. He says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed 
from an empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus has set the price of a soul. And he paid for it with his own blood. That he said, your soul is more valuable than all of the things of this world that you could accumulate. And he gave his life for it. Because your soul is not a free market commodity that is set by supply and demand. Your soul, the value is God saying, for I so loved you that I gave my one and only son for you. This is the good news of Jesus. And giving up the whole world for Jesus is worth it. When I look at my life, when I see the things that I've accumulated be sold off on Facebook Marketplace, it's very sobering. You're like, oh man, I remember when I wanted that so bad. I thought this was, and then that is gone. This is the good news that Jesus has set the price for a soul and it has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. He has purchased it. And he has made us whole at the cross. Our response to this is to lay down our lives in grateful submission, not obligation. This is simply an invitation. This question is not a judgment as much as it is an invitation to do life with Jesus, laid down, surrendered and submitted so that you might find your soul for what you were made for, life with Jesus. So what do we do with this? Well, Jesus tells us right before that question in verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. So what do we do? We first, we consider the question. Will you sit with this question? Will you think about what is worth my soul? Jesus says it's himself. Will we look at the words of Peter and his pushback to Jesus? And Jesus says, Peter, you're thinking about earthly things. I'm doing more than you think. Expand your eternal perspective. See what I'm doing. It's more than just right here. Would we consider this? Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow after me, do you want to follow Jesus? He says, if you want to follow after me. We're going to do baptism Sunday next week. My prayer is that as you hear these words and this invitation of Jesus, that next week, seven days from now, we will be celebrating your new life in Christ. Because for the first time, maybe you thought, I, I want to follow him. And I'm telling you it's worth it. So first we consider. Secondly, he says, then deny yourself. Yeah, this kind of rubs up against us the wrong way, doesn't it? We live in America. We do what we want to do. You tell me I can't, watch how hard I will do that thing. Jesus says, no, no, deny yourself. The way, way I think about that is like you remove yourself from the throne of your life. You say, God, you are my authority. We don't give Jesus a say, we give him the say. With our life, 
with our money, with our relationships, with our resources. We say, God, what do you want me to do? I tell college students all the time, like, stop asking what you want to do with the rest of your life and start asking, God, what do you want me to do with the rest of my life? Give him the say. And we step off that throne. And then lastly, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. So we stop being afraid to identify with Jesus. That he is our king of kings and he is our Lord of lords. And then we follow him. We do what Jesus did. We love who Jesus loved. We get frustrated and angry about the things that frustrated and angered Jesus. We follow him. And if you don't know how to do that, and you're like, Andy, what does that look like? Here's what I would say. Let us connect you with someone who's followed Jesus for their whole life. Those who are in their, their, their later years, who have faithfully walked and can look at you and say, it is worth it. Let me, let me show you. It's called discipleship. So those of you who are older in the room, you're past your midlife crisis. There are young people that are wanting to know, how do I do this? So find someone, let us help you do that. So the one thing I hope that you hear this morning is that God loves you and values you more than gaining the whole world. He has put a value on your soul and it is found at the cross of Christ. And so we, we don't just make a temporary decision. We make a commitment daily and for our whole life to follow Jesus. Remembering your value to him and gratefully following him. So why would you not want to follow Jesus? It's probably because we're afraid it's not true, and I'm telling you, it is. This was the life you were made for. This is the life God has created you for, to walk with him and to experience life and life to the full. As we go into a time of communion, go ahead and grab your elements. I can't think of a better way to end this message than with this celebration of the beauty of the cross. I want to read one more time the words of the Apostle Peter in 1, 18 and 19. Peter writes, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but you have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. And so as we take the bread, we remember that Jesus said to his disciples in that upper room, this is my body broken for you. It's a value statement. You're worth my life. So we eat it remembering him. And then we take the cup the blood of a new covenant that Jesus says, I will shed for you because I love you and life is better with me and so I have to give my life for you. So we drink in remembrance of him. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for being honest with us through the questions that you ask. Holy Spirit, would you do a work in us would you humble us? Would you encourage us? And would you show us that life with you is worth it and that we gain ourselves 
and even better, we get you. And so, Lord, would you move in us in a way that is a light to this city. In your son's name, amen. Crossings, our prayer teams will be down front if you would like to pray with somebody. Have a great week of worship.